This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hello everybody and welcome to the 78th episode of the most downloaded Nuggets podcast in the world, hosted by Amiroslav. Welcome to the DNVR Nuggets' Serbian Corner. My name, as I mentioned just now, is Miroslav Cuk, and it is a Serbian New Year's Eve. In fact, by the time this show ends, it will be the Serbian New Year, so expect gunshots and fireworks during the show, and how many shows can offer that? It will also be the first American live show ever hosted from Serbia and Japan simultaneously, but more on that in a few minutes. First, a quick recap of what we've seen from the Nuggets and the NBA at large in the week behind us. It started with the lousy Pistons coming to Ball Arena, so naturally Nikola Jokic took only three shots in the game, played for 25 minutes, recorded 16 assists and five blocks. No big deal. It was also a get-right game for Jamal. He finished with the season's best 37 points. So he maintained Monty Williams' incredible dollar-per-win value. He is now on pace to earn $1,914,585.37 for every win he gets with the Pistons. What a deal. On Tuesday, we've learned that the Basketball Association of Serbia has polled basketball media members to select the best Serbian basketball player for 2023. It was the least surprising thing that the member of FIBA FIBA World Cup's first team, Bogdan Bogdanovic, got the most votes, followed by Nikola Jokic, and then two more heroes from the Philippines, Aleksa Avramovic and Borisha Simonic, who lost a kidney after injuries sustained in the World Cup. For the people who thought I was joking when creating a list of the greatest Serbian players of all time, according to Miroslav Points, this was a surprise. Still, in Serbia, even today, the national team's success is above every and any league in the world, including the NBA. But even with that in mind, there are two reasons, in my opinion, why this voting had to end up like this. The Serbian Basketball Association would get a lot of backlash if Nikola was voted the best after skipping the World Cup, where the team played tremendously and won the silver medal, and some of the guys that did sacrifice their summers to play at the World Cup maybe would feel disappointed with that kind of decision, however logical it would be. In my mind, this was a win-win situation, since Nikola, I'm pretty sure, doesn't care about such individual accolades, and Bogdan Bogdanovic won recognition for a wonderful summer performance. Later that night, there was a game between the Lakers and the Raptors. The Lakers won the game thanks to 23 free free throws in the fourth quarter versus two that the Raptors had. Toronto's coach, Darko Rajakovic, who was born in 1979 in Čačak, Serbia. Wow, I was born in 1979 too. It was such a good year for basketball minds. Okay, focus, Miroslav. You're making a point. Darko Rajkovic called out the refs for giving all those free throws in the fourth quarter to the Lakers and did it in such a Trachanian way. Told the refs to tell him next time the Lakers have to win so he could spare the, his team from traveling across the continent to Los Angeles. Darko said that everybody outside of what everybody outside of the Lakers fan base thought and he formulated it perfectly. I hope uh, the Raptors owners will pay for his fine. After that, the good guys traveled to Salt Lake City. It was the 13th time Nikola Jokic played in Utah and still the only win ever for him in Utah was the famous The Seven game. Utah was red hot from the opening tip. Nuggets defense was horrible. The starters never got into the rhythm and can take calling 
uh, thank Colin Gillespie and the bench mob for losing this game with a reasonable margin. Finally, the Pelicans came to town. The beginning of the game wasn't promising since neither team could stop the other one, but as soon as the starters made a few stops, they got a nine-point lead. Then the Jamal-led bench extended that to 15, and the Pelicans never came back to the game. Nikola got his fifth consecutive triple-double when playing against the Pelicans, and also now has an eight-game span of shooting almost 80% from the field, another not since Wilt. Jamal and MPJ both scored 20 points, and Gordon, KCP, and Reggie were all in double digits. It was the third time this season that all of Jokic, Murray, and Porter scored 20-plus points, and the tenth time any Nuggets trio accomplished this this season. Fun fact, the quintet of Michael Adams, Alex English, Fat Lever, Blair Rasmussen, and Jay Vincent all scored 20-plus points on December 16, 1987, versus Houston. The 80s were wild, man. All right, that was enough of me yapping. It's time to call up my guest for today. As I said, this is the first time in the history of YouTube television that a live show for the U.S. audience is being hosted from Serbia and Japan simultaneously. Yes, it's 11 p.m. on a New Year's Eve here, but it's also 7 a.m. in Yokohama, Japan, a big thank you for waking up so early on a Sunday. To the writer for Forbes Sports, he is the former BSN Denver and Roundball Rock Company contributor. It's Joel Rush. Welcome to the show, Joel. Thank you, Mira, and happy Serbian New Year's to you. Yeah, it's we are only 51 minutes away from that. I, I, I actually have no idea uh, what will be the magnitude of the of the fireworks behind did you say fireworks and gunshots by the way (laughs) yeah it was kind of a joke but not really i when i was a kid i used to live in a in a part of the city where there were a lot of uh uh former military people uh living and these guys had a lot of weapons in their houses so when there's new year's (laughs) there was a lot of gunshots in celebration so they're just shooting up into the sky yeah 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 okay (laughs) It was. I'm, I'm glad it's not safe. violent gunshots. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty safe. I wouldn't say completely safe, but pretty safe. Yeah. So, Joel, you're an English teacher in Japan. Yes. And you're also a writer for for Forbes covering the Nuggets. Right. Describe to me your usual working day. Uh, you know, how do you uh, organize your your business hours? Let's call it like that. Well, you know, to be quite honest, um, I I am a teacher as my main job, but um, my schedule of late has not been super busy. So my day tends to kind of organize itself because I have enough free time in between classes that um, it's fairly easy for me to work in time for watching games or writing or things like that. So it's not too much of a challenge on that front. Yeah, so Denver, Belgrade, and Tokyo are three cities that are perfectly separated by eight hours around the globe. So it's like a like a three phase electrical motor, you know, like like uh, one third <laughs> of a full circle between them. And I have to say, it's pretty it's pretty difficult to to watch uh, Nuggets games live here in Serbia. It's it's a lot easier for you in Japan, right? I believe so. I. Uh... Just because of the way my schedule is structured right now, I happen to have a fair amount of mornings off, and most of the games tend to start at like, and daylight savings impacts this a little bit, but you know, nine or 10 or 11 in the morning is probably the most frequent starting time for games um, that I watch the Nuggets games. So, you know, that's pretty manageable for me. I don't have to do the two o'clock in the morning or four o'clock in the morning stuff very often like you guys do if i understand correctly yeah i actually watched the game live this morning or last morning at 4 a.m and that's actually the perfect time for me because i can actually get some sleep before the game the the 2 a.m starts are brutal that's that's the my least favorite ones yeah, if I'm not mistaken, tomorrow's game will begin at 5.30 a.m. here because it's like an early afternoon game or something. So 
yeah it's like that might 11, be better for you guys yeah 11 30 p.m here so it's it's gonna be like just just a bit later than what we are doing right now so that's that's gonna be fine that's i'm gonna enjoy that one yeah that gives me uh two mornings of waking up early for the nuggets um but that's fine Tell i don't me. have to do it nearly as much as you guys do this is an unpopular question to ask because of the time frame but did you enjoy covering the nuggets during the pandemic you know with all those remote sessions you could have you know attend equally just like any other media media personality remotely yeah i mean obviously i would never want to say anything was good about the coronavirus pandemic because it was a horrible tragedy and you know, I don't want to make light of that at all. But for me, selfishly, it was actually a silver lining of it was that it gave me access that I had never had before as, you know, someone covering the nuggets, because everything went to zoom. And I, I really do think the NBA kind of made a misstep by completely eliminating the zoom media sessions, because, you know, I'm American, so like it's nothing as special for me. I mean, it's f special for me personally, but you know, there's plenty of Americans covering the Nuggets, almost all of them, right? Um, who are in the media room. But you know, when you uh, look at all the guys who are all the people who are covering the Nuggets, and um, I'm forgetting his name now, but one very prominent Serbian reporter was always in the sessions. Yeah, I, I believe then, it's Alexander Zigic of our. Oh, yeah, thank you. Um, yes. And then um, from Argentina, I believe. And, yes. you know, at that time, Faku was on the team. So some Spanish language um, reporters were getting in the mix. And, you know, like, I thought it was a good thing for the NBA in general just to kind of crack open the access a little bit, even to having more international access to these sessions I, i know it was annoying as hell for the players and the probably the nuggets pr team and stuff like that to have to the technical difficulties of the zoom sessions and all that stuff but um but you know i do think it was a positive for the nba just to kind of you know go beyond its usual limits of only having the media in the room um so yeah when they finally you know xed out all the zoom stuff i was a little <laughs> disappointed personally but you know i i get it like it's a pain in the ass for them i'm sorry if i no i i i agree I, with you i i actually think that it would be a smart thing to leave it at least like like have it once every two weeks or something like that just one yeah, zoom session just occasionally just open it a bit would be cool i think but yeah but, you know. don't, don't don't feel bad about uh remembering fondly those days professional wise because i would never be a podcaster if there wasn't you know the pandemic and you know i was locked in my home and so we were the dnvr guys running out of topics to talk about the while the nba was suspended indefinitely so they figured let's give this crazy person a chance to speak into the void and three years later <laughs> here i am so okay let's start with the game last night or in your okay. case uh, last noon What was your biggest takeaway from the Pelicans game? Well, basically that when Nikola Jokic puts his mind to it, he can do whatever he wants to. <laughs> I mean, it was a good reminder, <clears throat> you know, after the Utah game where sometimes it's really hard to get into the mindset of these nuggets, I think. Was that something where they just <clears throat> excuse me we're not taking that game seriously was that something where they just couldn't execute you know it's hard to know where do you attribute the flaws of that performance but when they're keyed in you know when Jokic is keyed in especially they can basically execute at will and you know especially also when you get such balanced scoring i believe um Jokic had 27, Murray and MPJ both had 20, and AG 15, KCP yeah, 11, yeah. you know, when and Reggie 12. So you got like six guys all in double figures, you know. Um, when they're keyed in and they're locked in and they're playing together as a team like that, then they can beat anybody 
and most teams probably they can beat them with not ease necessarily, but with you know pretty unwavering confidence, I guess. So I'm I'm guessing you're not watching every Pelicans game, but no, they did win eight games on on the road in a row before this Nuggets game. Are the Nuggets a bad matchup for them, or do you think they actually suck when you when you <laughs> see their their uh, key guys next to their brilliant role players? Yeah, I definitely do not think the Pelicans suck. Um, I, I think they are a good team with some obviously extremely talented players, but I feel like they're somehow incomplete. <clears throat> and you're <clears throat> right, I haven't watched every Pelicans game. I've, I've seen a few, but um, to me it feels like maybe their biggest problem is like they lack two-way guys. Like, you know, you got Herb Jones, who's kind of a zero on offense, but is a great defender. Um, and then you got Brandon Ingram, who's kind of the opposite, right? Who And CJ McCollum. Like, those guys are pretty potent offensive threats, but they're not going to be doing as much on the defensive end. So... I feel like, you know, they don't have KCP and they don't have Aaron Gordon and they don't have, you know, that those types of... I think they need to surround Zion, assuming they keep him, which I think they will, um, with some different talent that has a little more two-way capability. But I don't think they're a bad team. I think, I mean, obviously, if you get a seven or eight game win streak on the road, you definitely have like a a certain floor there that of competence, right? So... Yeah, I, I, I really like Zion when he's healthy and in shape. He's like in 80% shape right now, I I would think so. Uh, Brandon Ingram is the guy I always look on that team and say, like, there's no other superstar that vanishes from the game quite like Brandon Ingram likes. You will just get a complete no-show from him from time to time. And then he can kill you in the last minute, like if his team around him is good he will hit the, the key shot at the end and they will win. But but in, in other occasions, you, it, that's that's at least my um, my um, impression of him based on a very limited number of, of New Orleans games I've been watching. Okay, let's take a first short break and then we'll come back with some Jamal Murray talk. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, presentation time. So, Jamal Murray's shooting versus rest this season, and this is not an original idea. I believe that Chris Marlowe mentioned this on one of the uh, previous uh, uh, games. I believe it was the last um, back-to-back game that the Nuggets had. So, he mentioned that Jamal Murray is really shooting a lot better when he's well-rested comparing to the to the second nights of the back to backs and i did some very little research based on games only this season and what i discovered is that his uh, second night of a back to back games he has shot only 36.7% from the field and 24% for three points on five occasions then if we get uh, one day of rest he is shooting 48% from the field and 45% uh, for three points on 11 games and then the next one is on two days rest 53% field goals and 48% three point percentage in seven games so uh, is there anything else to point out here not based on the few games uh, this season uh, but for the Jamal's uh, career you've been following very closely outside of Jamal's conditioning. In the playoffs, there are no back-to-backs. Maybe it's not only the brightest lights that bring out 
the best in him. What do you think? Well, if I can reveal a little of how the sausage is made, I you sent me <clears throat> these stats before the show, um, yeah. so I had a chance to look at them. Um, I've never seen such stats for like on average for NBA players or other specific players. So um, my first impression was maybe Jamal is probably typical in his percentages increasing with more rest incrementally from 36 to 47 to 52. Um, and that yeah, maybe is... Jokic is actually the outlier by, you know, yeah. going from 63 <laughs> with no rest to 54 with one day rest and 69 with like, I, I would guess it's probably more atypical of Jokic. And I would guess most NBA players probably follow a pattern more similar to Jamal. So, and that's just a guess. I, I haven't, like I said, I haven't seen the actual numbers on that, but I did try to follow that up by just looking at Jamal's career record versus teams that are over 500 versus under 500. Mm -hmm. Just on the notion of the bright lights thing that he might play better when there's more of a challenge presented to him and kind of slack off when they're playing against worse teams. But like it was almost identical stats like um, in the regular season. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the wrong thing, but yeah, the 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 over 500 versus under 500 team stats were pretty identical. But and this is nothing new for anybody because everybody's already aware of this. But the split between his regular season and playoff performances is enormous. He jumps from 17 points a game to 25 points a game, and you know. Assists and rebounds follow, but um, <laughs> my, my my favorite comment on that by Nikola Jokic is, of course he he makes more points, he plays more minutes. <laughs> like for Nikola, everything is linear. We play more minutes, so of course we 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 have more points per game in the playoffs. Of course, that doesn't doesn't uh, translate to other players. So Nikola, yeah, is and and I think you know, a couple more minutes would not account for the huge jump in scoring that we see from him in the playoffs. But I think it probably really is a bright lights thing. And I think also, you know, another factor could be like, he still might not be 100%, 100%. I mean, that ACL injury was no joke, right? And it took him a long time last season to kind of ramp up into form, but then last season went super long because they won the finals. So, you know, maybe just he's still rounding into playoff form, you know, and he might not be pushing himself quite as hard because he might be keeping something in the tank for later. So he he's definitely keeping something in the tank and he's doing that every season. I mean, if, if the result of that is peak performance in the playoffs, then that's the right strategy to pursue. Yeah, I've said this before. I don't think Jamal is the biggest worker on the team. He just isn't. Regular season exposes that more than playoffs because there are no back-to-backs. But I also believe he ramps his conditioning up for the playoffs. And let me tell you, that's fine. Some of the, the best players in history were famous for not being the biggest gym rats. In Serbia, we speak fondly of legends like Vlade Divac and Jarko Paspal, who uh, briefly played for the San Antonio Spurs and Atlanta Hawks. And everybody knew they were smokers. You can <laughs> hear similar stories about a guy who is still lighting it up in Euroleague, Milos Teodosic. He is not a guy that, that prefers you know, uh, work, workouts between the games. To summarize, Jamal frustrates me a lot, but I still love him. And no, there are no championship nuggets without him. So it's it's just a little game I like to 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 play about him. I guess I still have the hope for him to become more consistent later in his career. But uh, as people say, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, maybe it is a duck. So maybe maybe we shouldn't <laughs> push him in that direction. Yeah, and I don't know if this applies to Jamal or not. I've never heard anything about it one way or the other, but 
being that the Nuggets are based in Colorado, I think they're still in the NBA are plenty of smokers of maybe other kinds. <laughs> Not <laughs> tobacco smokers, yeah. <laughs> like uh, the reports from the locker room after the finals um, definitely confirmed that. So, you know, um, you know, and that's, hey, as long as they can bring it on the court when it matters, then power to you, I guess. But yeah, I, you know, I, I think what you say makes sense. Um, by I mean, by all accounts, Jokic is the hardest working guy on the team, right? So. Yeah, and, and we don't and hear those kinds of statements made about Murray quite as much. Yeah, and I actually, uh, it's it's surprising to me how late we got to know that Nikola is probably the the hardest working guy uh, on the team. That wasn't something that was you know pushed to the media for f- uh, his first several seasons uh, on the Nuggets. Okay, uh, let's now move to a bit of a bigger picture on the team. If you look at the season so far, who was the biggest positive and who was the biggest negative surprise to you uh, this season in the Nuggets, you know, player players wise? Well, I had a tough time deciding between two players for the biggest positive, but I have to go with Peyton Watson first, just because he was more surprising to me. Um, the other is Reggie Jackson and. He was surprising as well, but he had a long history and a track record of high level of performance. So it wasn't a shock because, you know, he's demonstrated that he could play at this level before. But Peyton Watson actually hitting those three pointers. And I know Michael Malone said he was more impressed with how his defense has improved this season. But I was maybe in the more obvious camp of, wow, like, I'm very almost shocked that I don't cringe when he shoots three-pointers, you know, because last season I would have really worried about that. And he has demonstrated some real growth and it's just absolutely critical to have a seventh guy, an eighth guy on the bench for this team after losing Bruce Brown and Jeff Green. And, um, you know, and, but, you know, by the same token that applies to Reggie Jackson as well for just, bringing competence to the backup point guard position. So I have to go with kind of both of those guys, but the one who's raised my eyebrows more is Peyton, for sure. Peyton Watson is really interesting because if you think about the playoff rotation, I I honestly haven't checked this. Uh, I, I wanted to, and then I forgot. How many minutes per game did Jeff Green and Bruce Brown and Christian Brown combine for, you know, minutes per game in the playoffs because that's probably similar to what the bench guys will get <coughs> this these uh, upcoming uh, playoffs as well so it's just the the matter of minutes allocation between the two or three guys probably not more than three guys for the playoffs and i have to say i'm actually right now thinking that peyton watson might play the most out of the three guys of the bench according to what we are seeing right now now of course that might change uh, guys have better and, and and worse months during the season the season is really long uh but uh, when when you think about the way um uh, reggie jackson plays together with jamal murray that wasn't the best possible uh pairing so far in my opinion you know but malone he, likes it yeah, I know he likes. He mentioned it, that in his presser post game last game. Yeah, and this last game it worked perfectly. Jamal led bench was was really clicking uh, on all cylinders. But and according to Malone, you know, I think one reason he likes doing that is just to take the pressure off of Jamal, where Reggie can run the point and let Jamal go off ball in those minutes. So yeah. there could be some kind of hidden value in that that Malone is seeing that you know might not be readily apparent to us as outside of observers, but, um, but yeah. I, I do think Reggie will get the most minutes off the bench in the playoffs just because I think we'll see as we did with Christian Brown last time where, you know, he basically sat out a whole series, right. Until yeah. he came back in the finals and really made a big impact. But I think, you know, Peyton Watson will be more like that, more situationally applied, but Reggie Jackson will be like, 
a constant go-to guy for Malone. Um, I could be mistaken, but I, I think the bigger minutes we're seeing for the deeper bench guys right now is for development and experimentation and figuring out, you know, who can we trust once we get there. But I, I, I actually agree with that. The only thing that kind of bothers me is I believe Bruce Brown played something like 26, 28 minutes per game in the playoffs last year. That might be too much for Reggie because the Nuggets might, you know, might be a bit exposed on defense if they're playing such a small front uh, backcourt with Reggie and Jamal. But I might be wrong. I, they might just be otherworldly strong uh, on the other side. That it just doesn't matter. Okay, give me your biggest uh, negative surprise for this season. So. <clears throat> I hate to say it, but it's pretty just obviously true. I think it's got to be Zeke Naji, who the Nuggets were clearly hoping for a big step and further development with him. And it just seems like that's not quite happening. And <laughs> the amount of games and playing time that DeAndre Jordan has gotten this season is basically all the confirming evidence of that we need to know, right? Like, I think it definitely would be the front office's preference and the coaching staff's preference if Zeke Naji was able to, you know, competently handle all those backup center minutes because he's, you know, ostensibly part of the future, whereas DeAndre Jordan, his clock is ticking, right? So, you know, Naji is an investment that they want to pay off, but he just hasn't been able to do it and yeah i think it <clears throat> would not surprise me at all if he got traded this summer and um you know the extension with the poison pill and all of that like when he was first signed to that extension i thought it sounded like a good deal but we'll see what happens with it but um yeah i think just him not really panning out in the way that the nuggets had hoped has probably got to be the biggest you know disappointment yeah and also not having vladko tantor as an alternative to him also didn't that's a help great there point. a lot a lot of pressure was put on zeke to pan out and he just didn't so far yeah it's almost easy to forget about vladko since he's been out of the picture so long now but that that is a very good point that you know he at least could come in and play some competent minutes when his number got called okay uh just just short on on another guy that had an interesting uh, uh, season so far, Christian Brown. How would you compare his game uh, to last season's regular season and then against the, the playoffs as well? Yeah, I feel like I feel like he has a little bit of the uh, Jamal Murray syndrome with the bright lights, um, you know, and I feel like he's basically the same guy. <laughs> um, and, you know, looking at the statistics, you know, his scoring is up a little bit, his three point percentage is up, but his two point percentage is down, but, you know, basically it all comes out in the wash about equally. Um, and so there's a little disappointment to me there just because I was expecting less of a sophomore slump and more of a next, you know, step forward. And, and I think that that's still in the future for him, probably. Um, as everybody, it's cliche now, but development is not linear. And, you know, I think he, I'm sure he will continue improving into the future. But I'm not worried about him at the same time because he is a champion and he is a winner. And I think, like Jamal Murray, he gets up for those big games more especially than any other. And I think he will still be, from moment to moment in certain situations, a big impact player in the playoffs. Um, and also, <clears throat> you know, like the Nuggets are clearly trying to get the ball in Julian Strother's hands. They're clearly trying to get the ball in Peyton Watson's hands. And they're trying to develop these other bench guys. So I think the amount of touches he's getting is probably less than might be expected for someone in his situation normally just because they're, you know, trying to distribute the shots more evenly among the uh, deeper bench guys. So that might be a little 
obstacle for him in development perhaps but um but i think he'll be fine yeah i i think it might be on us because we all expected christian to be the new bruce brown and in reality it it might be that the combination of peyton watson and reggie jackson will actually uh, replace the production of bruce brown and christian can just be christian from last season and that would be perfect for, for the playoffs honestly okay let's take one short one more short break and then we'll uh, come back to a, a game i just made up don't go anywhere okay the name of the game is what's his word or one word game Use one word to describe the season so far for the following players. Let's start with the big guy, Nikola Jokic. What would be his his word for this season? The word I chose for Jokic was bedrock. Because <clears throat> he is the foundation of everything, and that's always true. It's hard to come up with new words for Jokic, because he just crushes all the superlatives all the time right but i think the most important thing is the thing that malone always talks about and as he did in the last presser like he's always there every game doing it again and again with such consistency and that provides just such a high floor and foundation for the nuggets to have success yeah um actually my kids are gonna love this because they're huge fans of minecraft and in minecraft you you have bedrock as the as the you know the, the 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 main element that stays under all the other elements and that's a, that's a really nice comp i i cheated here and said casual dominance it's not one word it's two words but it it really is what what i feel like like he dominated hard when he wanted and then he you know took uh, his foot off the gas in certain games and allowed his teammates to shine and of course uh, he wasn't perfect in all of the games. He had some some uh, games where he was more casual than dominant, but that's that's why I, I went that way. Okay, Jamal Murray. I think a two-word phrase is oh, yeah. acceptable, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm allowing for you to cheat, too. <laughs> Jamal Murray. Um, <clears throat> I'm not trying to be too fancy here, but I put oscillatory, like an oscillating fan. Mm-hmm. Um, just because he is a little up and down. Um, the consistency that is there with Jokic is not necessarily there with him, as we discussed earlier, right? Yeah. But yeah. his peaks make it, right? <laughs> like we saw in the last game, like he can just hit tough shot after tough shot when that time comes in the game and he knows he needs to, you know, step up. So oscillatory but trending towards the higher peak of performance and sometimes dipping down yeah i actually agree with you <clears throat> i i actually believe that jamal, this is the best jamal season so far and, and it's not really close i think he is he is so much better as a as a as a playmaker you remember the days when we were all screaming why can't why can't jokic get the ball on the low block ever and now that's not not even a question anymore. And definitely and it's a not, stronger not start to the season than we've seen, right? Yeah, yeah. But but yeah, uh, oscillatory is a really great word. I'm not gonna uh, input anything from me because I really like your word here. Okay, let's go now to Michael Porter Jr. Okay, I put impressive, and I mean this in a variety of ways. You mentioned Jamal's playmaking improving, but like. That pass from like behind the half court line, the underhand scoop lead pass to Jokic. Where did that come from? Like we never saw anything like that from Michael Porter before, right? And his playmaking, even though it's not totally reflected in his assist numbers, but he's clearly being more mindful of there's a play that I clipped, I think it was the last game where um I think maybe Christian Brown had kind of drived and kicked and Michael Porter got it on the arc and then he dished it to the corner to, I think Reggie Jackson who missed the three. And then I believe, I think it was Jokic who got the rebound and 
you know, Michael cut in and he was able to get the oh, layup. Yeah. But yeah, um, right. you know, just catching it on the arc and then passing it to a more open three-point shooter, his decision making and his playmaking has gotten so much better. And his unselfishness has gotten so much better. And like he flied in for that big putback. Like his athleticism is also starting to kind of sparkle. And you know, we're seeing just a more multi-dimensional player in so many facets of his game. And, you know, there was a time when there was a pretty low level of confidence that that might happen. And he's really kind of broken through some of those previous limitations. And I am just really impressed. I remember the, the old um, qualifications of, of Michael's game that he's only elite at shooting and nothing else. He doesn't contribute to the team in other ways. First of all, shooting is was always the biggest strength in basketball. I mean, that's that's the point of the game and his uh, uh, his influence on the geometry of the court because of being such a great shooter, but not only a great shooter, but also a huge shooting threat that absolutely uh, um, melts the defenses. And, and spread them all, all over the court. But then, as you said, we got some great strides from him playmaking-wise, and he's really, really good at, at being an isolation defender, and he's getting better at being a team defender. And, you know, I, I just mentioned four huge things about his game that, that makes him a really, really great uh, playoff player. So uh, there's, there's no worries. Me, and uh, what was your word for him, by the way? It's it's strange. My word for him is up and down, and I. The reason I said that is because I felt like, in some games, yes, he was kind of like iced away from the actions after being really good in one quarter, but also I kind of think that he he maybe should have been more assertive in those in those games i mean i i i play basketball recreationally every every week with my guys we're you know the, the the old crew that plays basketball and i know it by myself if i'm offering myself more to my teammates i'm going to get the ball more it's it's like there are things he can do as well we're always blaming jamal and nikola and michael malone for not giving him the, the rock more but uh yeah i think i think this is this is one of the areas of his game where i still expect growth from him and look out if that happens and going back to impressive that might be the actually most impressive thing about michael porter's growth is just how much of a loyal trooper he's been and just taking everything in stride and you know of course he would like more touches his recent comments at that one post-game presser, like, I think got blown up disproportionately because he has been very quiet, very keeping his head down, going to work, and just <clears throat> doing his job and playing his role. And I think he's really learned a lot from Jokic in that respect. But also, you know, I, I do think it's the onus is on Michael Malone and his teammates to try to feed him a little bit more too because uh like you said it can be frustrating for players if they are trying to do all the right things but they don't get rewarded for it oh this this is a great comment from 5555-ish for mpj he also say iron man he's the only player that hasn't missed a single game this season which is like, oh is that right i had not yeah yeah that that's that's right. that stat. But, uh, wow yeah excellent excellent uh, observation. Okay, next guy. Uh, Aaron Gordon. My word for him was bully. Because he just, I think, is using... I mean, he, for one thing, I think he's gotten bigger since joining the Nuggets. Like, you look at these pictures of him when he was back in Orlando, and he was pretty svelte, right? Like, he looks like a bodybuilder now. <laughs> and he's really making great use of just throwing his weight around and exploiting mismatches. And, you know, we saw some examples of it last game, but I just love the way he's using his physicality. And, you know, he, he went through kind of a slump for a while in terms of his shooting and stuff, but yeah, I, I just think 
as a complimentary player to Jokic, he's perfect. And um, a lot of that does have to do with, you know, being on the inside and being able to throw his weight around. Yeah, my, I agree. Bully is a, is a great word. My my word for for AG is emotional season. I I feel like like he's the emotional uh, um, the, the the spirit of this team and emotional leader. And when he's feeling great, the Nuggets are just awesome. Like when AG plays great. Nobody is stopping them. Of course, you can say the same thing about Jamal Murray and, and Michael Porter, but AG, as you said, he can crush the teams with his two-man game with, with Nikola Jokic, which is one of the most impressive two-man games in, in, in the league. That's very atypical. You will really rarely see guys playing the five and the four doing the, the two-man game, and you know it's it's pretty unstoppable. So when when... AG is feeling it when his emotions are on a high level. The Nuggets are just crushing everybody, and I'm sure that that he is also pacing himself for the main thing. Like, like it's kind of annoying. They know what's their goal. They know what's going on in the next three months. Doesn't doesn't mean anything. They just need to survive the grind and then deliver their best punch when it's needed. Yeah, on, on that front. <clears throat> excuse me, it's going to be very interesting to see how they handle this next really difficult stretch of games because, you know, January is a time when a lot of NBA players kind of take off, right? Um, so, but this is a time that's going to be pretty critical for maintaining a top spot in the standings and, you know, like they did last season, kind of securing their foothold going into the All-Star break. So... Yeah, this is going to be a pretty big test for them coming up, I think. Okay, another guy, KCP. What is his word for this season? I chose underrated because there's nothing about him that jumps off the box score, the stat sheet. But, you know, the, the Nuggets campaigning for him to make all defense is well-placed, I think. You know, he has really you know even as a pretty great defender through last season and the playoffs like he really has i think even stepped up his defense to a higher level this year and is not really getting buzz around the, you know the nuggets fans know it but around the nba you know i think he's not getting the kind of recognition he should deserve for that Yeah, I, I agree with you, and I actually hope he stays underrated because his contract expires uh, this summer. He he will have a, his player option after that that he'll probably uh, decline, and hopefully no other team will offer him like like twenty five million dollars and and take him away from the Nuggets. I I believe the Nuggets would be happy to pay him twenty million for another couple of seasons on the team and. Uh, To, to just save this 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 great core, yeah, I, I I agree with your word. Underrated is perfect. Okay, Peyton Watson. Uh, blossoming is the word I chose for him, and we already kind of discussed him. Um, but you know that speaks to last year. He was pretty much a purely defensive guy. Now he has an offensive game that is expanding, and it's great to see. Blossoming is a great word. You, you, you can you can see that you're a writer. <laughs> I would never come up with such a such a nice word. The, my word for for Peyton was uh, surprising. I mean, I'm guessing that he's surprising. Um, like he's not surprising people who were crazy about him based on very little information we've had. And there were some other people inside the organizations who, who obviously knew much more than we did, uh, being so uh, so um, uh, impressed with him and and uh, uh, believing that he will be this good, this fast. So yes, it was a big surprise to me, and I it's of course a, a wonderful surprise I was hoping for, but I was kind of doubting. To be honest, because I was like, "Oh man, we are we are just 
over the top with uh, with the Peyton Watson hype. And you know, I mean, Nuggets fans will do this. Like they will hype up Ishmael Kamagate, like the the next you know uh, um, <laughs> guy that will uh, uh, battle uh, Vembanyama in the NBA. And the reality is, he is already on his third team in Europe this season, and he's probably not coming to the NBA. So yeah, this this is why it was surprising and it's a wonderful surprise. Uh, Christian Brown. Um, the word I chose for him was trooper. As in, <clears throat> like like I said before about Michael Porter Jr. You know, I think he's being a good soldier and just you know blue collar going to work and accepting his role and just doing it. And yeah. like I said before, you know, I feel like. Maybe even if his performance is kind of flatlined for now, um, I'm not worried about that. And I think <clears throat> just continuing to stay in that mode will ultimately pay off for him. Yeah, my my word for him is is a is a negative one. It's clumsy. Hmm. Like they did push him into doing a lot more on offense than what he did last season to try to to up his game to try to build him up which is a great great idea and if you think about it the nuggets are on pace to win like i don't know how many 55 56 wins right now even with playing some young guys and giving them opportunities to to develop which is kind of crazy if you think about it it's like it's something that the teams like detroit <laughs> are supposed to do and and build up their talent young talent but yeah he, he did and at the same time losing bruce brown was a much bigger loss than i think people appreciated yeah so for those guys to be replacing those minutes um speaks even more to that i think yeah that's right i think the uh, the best chance for the nuggets to replace bruce, bruce brown the best chance of theirs realistically in these playoffs is for the starters to be even better than last year and that's probably the, the biggest uh, gap they can they can uh, get there and whatever they get from P. Watt and what they get from Reggie and Christian, that will be just gravy on top of that. Okay, uh, last guy, Reggie Jackson. The word I chose was the same one you chose for Peyton Watson, and that is surprising. Um, and, you know, like I said before, it shouldn't be too shocking because he has a track record of a high level of performance in the past, but we just didn't see it at all last season. So for him to be actually delivering a fairly high level of competence has been huge for the Nuggets this year, and it's really not something that I was expecting. Yeah, my, my word for Reggie is homecoming. It it mm -hmm. might be a bit, uh, you know, pretentious, to call this a homecoming uh, season for him but he's been really good on average he's been really good uh, this season he's had his up and downs but he's a backup point guard he's allowed to have his uh, up and downs for sure so yeah i i really root hard for reggie i really want him to be a big part of the of the championship run uh, as a local guy i'm really really big on that okay let's take one last short break and then we'll have one more short segment that will not be uh, so much concentrated on the Nuggets. Don't go anywhere. Okay, before we go, I have several non-Nugget questions for you. So, you are a huge fan of cinema, so give me your favorite five comedies and five favorite non-comedies. I had to do it like this because I'm a great fan of comedy as an uh, 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 art, uh, art uh, how do you call it, uh, um, kind of art, like comedies of all kinds, not only on the movies. So this is why I, I'm forcing you to choose some comedies as well. Well, this one was maybe the hardest one for me to limit to only five. Um, <laughs> but I went with The Jerk, Airplane, this is Spinal Tap, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, and Being John Malkovich. Excellent. And I have a list of like 10 or 15 more movies that I 
honorable mention, but I, I know we're short on time, so I won't try to ramble through all those. Yeah, airplanes is 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 a great choice. I I I mean, all all of the the, the movies are great choices, but airplane is is like a movie I like to watch at least once once a year. Maybe not so much the the second one, but the first one was was awesome. Okay, let's let's go to the other genres. Okay, well, <clears throat> I kind of cheated on my first answer here because I can never decide between the two. But okay. Star Wars, which means Episode Four: A New Hope, but yeah. I just call it Star Wars because that was the original title. That's right. Because I'm a nerd. Um, but uh, and Empire Strikes Back together mm-hmm. collectively. That's fair. Is my favorite movie. Um, then 2001: A Space Odyssey, mm-hmm. Seven Samurai, Apocalypse Now, and. Another cheat here, but for my fifth, I couldn't choose between Taxi Driver or Unforgiven. When you say 2001 Space Odyssey, one thing I always think about Tana Kubrick is the how wide is his opus of, of films he's made. Like, he never... I mean, he did have, like, the anti-war trilogy. You, you can say all of those those movies move in the same direction but if you think about it he's made comedies he's made horror movies he's made romances he's made you know science fictions <laughs> so it's 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 really crazy how how wide his specter was yeah i'm a big kubrick fan and i i could have chosen any number of his other movies there but i went with 2001 because that just rocks me every time but excellent excellent list okay now, give me your five favorite music bands, regardless of genre. Okay, I uh, <laughs> this this was another tough one. Um, sure, but the Grateful Dead. Anyone who knows me on Twitter yeah. <laughs> will not be surprised by this. It's my favorite <laughs> band, and I'm a big Deadhead. Um, but the first band that I really probably fell in love with was Rush, and mm-hmm. I still love. Old Rush. I never got into the new stuff. New being like post signals, but um, but yeah. Then Rage Against the Machine, Public Enemy, and here's another cheat here for my fifth one. I couldn't choose between John McLaughlin, all the incarnations of John McLaughlin, which uh, there are many, and uh, the Beatles. But um, but yeah, I, you know. In the Grateful Dead genre, I could have chosen any number of other bands that I also love, but I was trying to just kind of diversify my answers there a little bit. Yeah, if I can uh, just uh, comment on one of the bands you mentioned, Rush, their uh, late guitar player, uh, Alex Lifeson. Uh, He's mm-hmm. actually a Serbian guy, originally called Aleksandar Živojinović. And he's Is that probably, really true? Yeah, that's probably the most famous rock musician from Serbia. Wow, I did not know that. I, you know, everyone knows Rush as Canadian, and I always just assumed that was the case for him as well. I never knew that. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, Alexander Zivojinovic from Serbia, and an underrated guitar player too. I think he doesn't get the oh, he was awesome recognition he deserves in kind of the world of who are the greatest rock guitarists ever. He he is awesome. He is awesome. I actually didn't know about that until like five years ago. And when I discovered that, I was like, oh man, that's that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool because Rush rocks. Okay. Yeah, that's a great pen to put a great feather yeah. to put in your Serbian cap. Yeah, yeah. Well we claim we, <laughs> claim him. We have to claim everybody. We're a small nation. We we need to claim everybody we can. Okay. So we had this discussion back in the day on Twitter. Give mm-hmm. me your, this is pretty random. Give me your five favorite bass guitar players. <laughs> okay. And this was another one where I have a list of five and then I have a list of like 15 more guys who sure. were <laughs> close considerations. But I went with Jocko Pistorius, number one, mm-hmm. um, Phil Lesh of The Grateful Dead, mm-hmm. Stanley Clark, who was kind of the first fusion music that I listened to, like when I was in junior high or high school, kind of. Cracked me into that whole genre. Uh, Getty Lee of Rush. And I put Chris Squire from Yes. And there are so many more, like James Jamerson, Michael Henderson, O'Teal Burbridge. I, I have a whole list, Victor Wooten here, of like other guys. But um, I, again, I was trying to just diversify genres there a little bit and choose like a 
selection that's kind of representative of my broader taste but yeah i'm I'm a huge fan of jazz and you know i started like most people with the, with the old stuff with swing and bebop and stuff like that and then i discovered stanley clark and i was like oh man like this this guy is, is crushing the bass it's 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 really awesome okay yeah that first time you listen to school days is an experience for sure it is it is Joel, I cannot thank you enough for waking up this early on Sunday. I know you have a, a, a trip planned for today, so please go back to your bed and sleep some more. <laughs> thank you so much for, for coming on the show, and I hope uh, you won't be too annoyed uh, when I call you uh, back again. Oh, not annoyed at all. Thank you, likewise, for having me. It's been really fun chatting with you for the first time, except on Twitter, so... It's great to kind of meet you personally face-to-face. And if any time you wanted me back on, I'd be happy to join you. Excellent. Excellent. And for you, my dear listener, thank you for spending an hour with us uh, this week. And until next week, idemo nagetsi. <laughs>